This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, November 21st, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. It's easy to say that there are too many criminal penalties out there. It's a much harder task to get a handle on exactly how many there are. Patrick McLaughlin is the Director of Policy Analytics at the Mercatus Center. In August, we discussed the massive growth in the ways you can land in jail. It was many years ago that I think a, a law, U.S. lawmaker in the House asked the Congressional Research Service to try to just catalog all the criminal penalties. And their response was chilling because their response was essentially, we don't have the manpower to do that. And that is, uh, that's a scandal as far as I'm concerned, but it sort of just occurred and then it's just sort of faded away and people don't seem to be all that concerned about it. So trying to get at uh, answering this question about the depth of the criminal code and how many criminal penalties are out there for all of us to stumble upon, hopefully not, but they <laughs> exist and they're out there. And where do you even begin to to get a handle on that information? Well, I, I guess it's telling that I had to use computer programs, software to begin to get a handle on the information, right? There's just, there's too much text for a person to go through. I, so I, I once estimated how long it would take to read the the code of federal regulations. And we're, we're in criminal law, we're talking about statutes, but uh, primarily, although crimes can be created in regulations as well. And uh, if you read as a, as your full-time job and about 250 words per minute, it would take you over three years to read through just the, the current year's regulations. That's setting aside statutes. So obviously no one's going to do this and you have to use computers. And that's, that is scary. Luckily, we have the technology to get some numbers out of it. So what do we know? Well, can I give a little background? Um, yeah. So a theme of my career has been to use software, uh, things like natural language processing, machine learning, to go through policies that are too voluminous to read. And so I've mentioned regulations already. Um, you know, the, the accumulation of policies like criminal laws and regulations has been understudied, but it seemed to me that it should be. It, it's probably having an effect that there's there were 40,000 pages of regulations on the books in 1970, and there's approaching 200,000 pages on the books right now. People are vaguely aware of accumulation, but not specifically aware, meaning like, what does it do? What's, why does it matter? What are the results if you were to count up how many regulations there are, who's issuing them, who's affected by them? So I've been in the Reg Data Project. Um, I've been doing that for regulations for a long time. And now we turned and took that knowledge that we built up in looking at regulations and quantifying different aspects of the text there. We turned it to criminal law. We started with federal statutes. And as I said before, you know, it's not the only place where crimes are created, defined. They're also defined in federal regulations. They're defined in state statutes and state regulations. But we had to start somewhere. So we went through uh, all the sections of statutes on the books. Um, the, we, the, we looked in 2019 when we did this study. And there's about 48,000 sections of statutes in, in the, in federal statutes. A section, you can think of it as like basically a page of law. Sometimes it's several pages, but it's effectively a page. And going through these 48,000, we said, how many of these are creating a crime? And again, we're using computers for this. So it's basically 
a carefully cultivated set of search terms that we that we looked for. So some examples of the search terms are looking for the phrase shall be fined or shall be punished in prison for more for not more than stuff like that. And there's 12 different phrases we we found or came up with. Um, and we found that of those 48,000 sections, 1,510 defined at least one crime. Now, most of them define more than one. So that's uh, that that in comparison to 1994 is a 30% growth. Uh, there were 1,111 of those in 1994. So crimes on the federal books have been growing. Probably not too surprising. We can talk about why it matters in a second. But more than just the number of sections, I think you want to know the number of crimes itself, right? Like how many ways can you be a criminal today, which you probably are. Um, me specifically? Well, I don't, I don't, I take, I take offense at that. <laughs> I, I, you know, you very generally, uh, everyone is probably a criminal because there's the so editorial many editorial you. Exactly. Uh, so we effectively just figured out the average number of crimes that are created in one of these sections that, that creates at least one and this multiplication. Uh, in 1994, the number of crimes was 3,825. That's our estimate. 2019, 5,199. So there's over 5,000 ways to be a criminal today. Uh, I see in some of your work here a massive jump in 1994. Yeah, that's you're looking at percent changes there, I think, right? Estimated number of U.S. Code sections that created a federal crime, 1,111 in 1994, and then 1995, it jumps way up. All right. Yes, yeah, so there was um, some tough on crime rhetoric going around in the 90s. You probably remember. And uh, you could see the effect of that in uh, in the data. Yeah. 1995, 1996. Those when we saw the biggest increases in the number of number of sections creating crimes at the federal level. Led by our good friend, the president of the United States, Joe Biden. Indeed. <laughs> there, there, there's um. So that I think was probably not even entirely in the data. We weren't able to go before 1994. I see. I so see. there's some stuff that we're not entirely getting. We did look, we connected the the data to some specific acts. And so there's a list. We have a, a paper out there. We list a bunch of different acts of Congress that were responsible for the growth in crimes. There's stuff like Anti-Terrorism and Effective Death Penalty Act of 1996, uh, a big one in 1995 was Sex Crimes Against Children Prevention Act. There was a Lobbying Disclosure Act of 1995 that created several crimes. So there's 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 a lot of different acts actually in 95 and 96 that contributed to those those spikes that you see. Okay, so getting a handle on that is uh, it remains a challenge. A lot a lot of the work you've done is it, trying to get a handle on getting a handle on it, and, and uh, but trying to uh, beat some of that back. What is the, you know, is there low hanging fruit in terms of things that are criminalized that the median voter would clearly say, well, that's terrible. I like to think so, but I, I think a, a even less controversial way to approach this and, and pick some low hanging fruit, so to speak, would just be look for duplication. You have a lot of opportunities to see where crimes are defined at, say, the federal and state levels both. And while I personally would like to see those mostly devolved to state levels, you know, I, I am a big fan of the laboratory of democracy and being able to experiment across the states. One way or the other, duplication seems like something everyone should agree you don't want. Um, you know, another one of the 
like I said, one of the themes of my my career has been creating data about policy and that lets us do research about it. What does it actually mean to have 30, 36% growth in crimes from 1994 to 2019? What are the effects of that? I think one thing we should look at, and then maybe this will let us define what low-hanging fruit are, is what does it do for police effectiveness? I mean, if you're, if you want to have a, let's say, optimal size police force, whatever that means, are you are you using police in the best ways or are they enforcing crimes that are just something like you said, the median voter wouldn't care about? So uh, if we could look at the effectiveness of, of policing as crimes grow, maybe they aren't using their their resources in ways that the voter wants. That, that would be something to be concerned about. And I think that research could hopefully lead to some better decisions on that. And, and the other element of this that I think you allude to is the idea that by virtue of Congress creating all of these new crimes and the penalties associated with it, that you're sort of federalizing a lot of what otherwise would be handled at the state level. That's right. I think that's, we don't have state level data yet. So I I can't say for certain that there's more growth at the federal level, but there's clearly growth at the federal level. And the, I think the assumption until we can prove otherwise, is that's at, that's at the cost of some power in the states. Right. And there's probably plenty of duplication between federal and state laws in terms yeah. of criminal penalties, too. Right. And another related point on duplication or just the proliferation of crimes overall, uh, I guess a reason to be concerned is, you know, imagine your, uh, again, the editorial you is, is uh, arrested for something that maybe you didn't do and you're taken in. The police are saying, well, we got you on this. And you give a story for why they don't actually have you on this. And the police say, well, we also have you on this and this and this and this and this because there's an endless list of crimes that they could possibly throw at you. And they get you to the point where you realize you have to cop a plea to the first crime because if not, your legal costs and your potential risk of jail time are going to be just so much larger. So it's sort of a it's ammunition. You don't necessarily want to be there. Uh Mens rea is an important element of criminal law, or should be an important element of criminal law, and that's the guilty mind. That is, that is, you meant to do what you did. Um, and how front and center is that these days in federal criminal penalties? I think it's taken a backseat. I think that the again the proliferation of crimes is probably part of the story here. Uh, there's just no way that you can be aware of all of the crimes that you could possibly be being, you know, commit. And so mens rea, does it matter anymore if there's no way that you could be aware of all the crimes that you could be committing? The guilty mind couldn't exist if there were no way to know that you should be guilty. Well, I'm sure there are a lot of defense attorneys who would love to be able to make that (laughs) argument uh, in court. Um, So going forward in terms of the state versus federal issue, because this seems like a a, a big deal, just taking criminal issues out of state courts. And you know, when there are high profile cases and the feds want to lay charges just as much as a state wants to lay charges, the feds do their case first. And so that's another sort of preemption uh, of state judicial uh, activities. Yeah. And, and you can think of this in some of the so-called victimless crimes, right? There's There's a lot of areas where maybe the median voter wouldn't 
wouldn't be keen to call something a crime like war on drugs and drug use in general would be an obvious example here. And the degree to which you don't allow experimentation across the states because of federal federal law. I mean, it is interesting to think about the fact that marijuana legalization has spread across so many states and is still illegal at the federal level. And you got to wonder how does that conflict between those different uh, laws uh, shake out and the industry is still developing and that that conflict is causing a lot of uh, uh, friction in the development of that industry, of course. But anyway, the, the point is, I think in a lot of these less um, victimless, re- relatively victimless crimes, having different approaches in different states could lead to better answers to the question I posed earlier. What are we getting in exchange for the crimes that we're putting on the books? How effective is policing? Are we seeing actual less undesirable activity? I I was going to say criminal behavior, but criminal behavior is defined by what crimes are. Let's just say less, less undesirable activity being the outcome we're trying to achieve. Patrick McLaughlin is the Director of Policy Analytics at the Mercatus Center. We spoke in August. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast anywhere you please. And thank you for listening.